0: Hello, I'm Mark, and this is the Fast Track Impact podcast for researchers who want to be more productive and achieve real-world impacts from their research. This week, I want to talk about how you can write impact into your next grant proposal to make your grant more competitive. Uh, increasingly wherever you are in the world uh, whatever you're applying for uh, it's more often than not now uh, impact will be a deciding factor in whether or not you are competitive and you get that funding so increasingly I'm getting asked uh, what can I do Uh, I'm going to draw on my experience uh, as a person who has written a lot of uh, successful grants, um, uh, but also my experience as a reviewer, as a grant panelist, and my research on impact to tell you what is uh, at the cutting edge of good practice, uh, what uh, are some of the things you can do that will very quickly and easily just up your game, uh, and ultimately how you can make sure that this does not wreck your chances uh, if you've got a great research idea. Uh, You really don't want to go down the tubes just because you didn't pay attention to the impact sections of your proposal. Uh, I'm uh, recording this from London, uh, so you may actually be able to hear in the background some uh, fairly um, uh, dubious music. Uh, So we've uh, uh, just been at a grant panel meeting. So I I thought, uh, yeah, while this is kind of fresh in my mind, uh, straight from a panel meeting, having made a bunch of uh, decisions about how to rank uh, proposals, Uh, I would uh, share some, some thoughts with you. So this may or may not be of vital importance depending on what you're applying for there are still uh, a number of uh, types of funding around the world uh, that do not require you to uh, prove that you will uh, do any kind of impact whatsoever Um, uh, so uh, European Research Council, for example, uh, in Europe, Leverhulme, in the UK, um, other schemes elsewhere. So uh, depending on what scheme you're going for, this may or may not be um, that important. Uh, on the other end of the spectrum, there are schemes that very clearly are challenge-led. Uh, they have impact front and centre, and it says very clearly in the coal criteria that if you haven't got impact, then uh, this isn't going to work. Um, so in the UK, for example, the Global Challenges Research Fund, um, uh, as uh, an example of one where you're looking at uh, at, uh, at minimum 60-40, um, but often much closer to 50-50 uh, in terms of uh, the weighting from uh, scientific or research excellence versus uh, impact. Uh, and uh, what's interesting for me, though, is the, the stuff in between um, uh, and how things are are changing in between. And uh, broadly speaking, you can divide these calls up into two. So you've got uh, the uh, responsive mode uh, grants that uh, you can, uh, in the UK, at least put in um, at any time. There are kind of rolling deadlines on these. um, And uh, much of that is ring-fenced for the the Blue Skies uh, stuff. Uh, now we are still required to write uh, a impact summary and a pathway to impact, and say what we think might happen, even if that might be very putative, very long term, uh, very uncertain. We we are still asked to to do that big thinking, to dream what uh, what we think might might happen, uh, and. Um, if uh, you've got some fantastic research that you're proposing, and uh, the the panel think that it is phenomenal, but you've got um, a fairly weak uh, impact section, then uh, they will give you a conditional um, funding acceptance and ask you to go and revise your uh, impact material until you're good enough. Um, and they will only give you the funding once you've uh, once you've revised that to their to their satisfaction. Um, And um, and so you could argue that, well, hey, I don't need to pay that much uh, attention uh, to this um uh, and And you may be right, uh, depending on who is on your panel and uh, how important they think that is, uh, and in particular how applied your discipline is. Um, I'm going to suggest that uh, uh, even for the most blue skies um, uh, conservation or nursing research, um, for example, uh, if you can't prove that it's going to make a difference um, then uh, then you've probably got a, a bit of a challenge on your hands in terms of your uh, your research excellence as well um, <clears throat> Uh, what's, uh, what's for me, uh, really interesting is the, the, the growing number of calls that are what would be called um, directed calls or challenge-led calls. Uh, so these um, have a particular focus um, and they are typically linked to impact in some shape or form. So the one that we were looking at today was linked to the Sustainable Development Goals from the United Nations. Uh, And in these directed calls, uh, they will not state uh, the proportion of the uh, of the weighting, typically, uh, that goes towards impact. Um, so it looks very similar uh, in terms of the the criteria you're reading about uh, to uh, to a, a responsive mode one, except that there is also this thing on fit to call. So uh, you have to demonstrate that you meet the aims of the call, and the aims of the call will have impact in them probably somewhere. So so yeah, it's there. It's explicit. You do have to do this. Um, uh, What I notice, though, is in calls like this, in these directed calls, uh, you typically don't get great work uh, in terms of the the pathways to impact. There is still a real sense that uh, people haven't upped their game, it's still just that kind of night before uh, the final thing, we'll just throw something together in here, and in fact, I haven't even got enough stuff to fill up my two pages or however much uh, space you get. and, uh, and I, uh, what, what I'm discovering it more and more is that, that actually that is a big deal. Uh, so for all of these uh, directed modes, uh, challenge-led uh, funding calls, uh, if you don't do good on impact, then you may well significantly compromise your chances. Um, uh, at minimum, Uh, What I've seen uh, is that when you get to the ranking stage, so uh, we've got a whole lot of proposals that are ranked at uh, seven out of 10, for example. is a a fairly common one. Um, uh, And uh, there's a few out there, outliers, at maybe eight or nine out of 10 that are definitely going to get funded. Um, And the funding is going to run out somewhere in that rump of uh, projects that have been graded at seven. Uh, uh, Now, they've all got the same scores. uh, So now there's a prioritization discussion that happens in terms of which will go to the top of that rump which will go to the bottom and very often in my experience especially in a directed call uh, it is that fit to to call uh, criteria that helps to sort them out well they were all pretty good in terms of the research they've all got some flaws or or weaknesses Um, but here's one that if this does work that would absolutely deliver the, the 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 goals of this scheme uh, and instantly, it's it's put up to the top. Uh, and now here's another one that, you know, it was pretty decent research, but it, there were massive doubts about whether this would ever work in terms of impact, um, and, uh, and very often it will be the more applied members of the panel, uh, the non-academic members of the panel calling for those projects to be put to the bottom of that list. Uh, and so if you find yourself in that grey zone, uh, instantly, uh, how strong and convincing your impact is, is how competitive you are and how likely you are to get funding. Now, in the, the call today, I made a, a slightly bold move at the end of the meeting uh, because it, it seemed clear to me that what was going on here was that despite the fact that there were no criteria set um, in terms of waiting um, in the call that, that we were looking at today, uh, it was a very much challenge led um, call. Um, And it seemed to me that projects that uh, weren't um, hitting the right buttons in terms of impact were getting downgraded quite severely. Um, And so I asked people at the end to put their hands up. um, uh, What weighting do you feel subjectively you were giving to most of these proposals in terms of uh, impact? Uh, Zero to 25% and nobody put their hand up. 25 to 50% and uh, about half of the panel members put their hands up, the other half abstained. Uh, And so, uh, unanimous uh, in terms of those who are willing to answer my question, unanimously uh, this was um, anywhere between uh, a quarter and a half of the weighting going to the impact uh, on this. Um, uh, And uh, how much effort did the people put into this? Um, Well, the evidence I could see in this particular call was uh, nowhere near 50%, uh, in most cases probably nowhere near even 25% uh, of of effort um, put into that. Uh, and that requires something that is going to be mainstream through your proposal, not just the impact actions. That it, it clearly adds up to something that is going to make a difference. It's, it's going to be credibly um, impactful. So this stuff really matters. Um, three things I'm going to suggest, um, and uh, and these uh, are kind of the high level things, and I'm going to try and make these generic across whatever funder you're applying to, wherever you are in the world. Um, uh, I will just thread through, uh, because I think the majority of people um, listening to this are UK-based, I'll thread through a, a few UK references, but I'll try and not do that too much. Um, uh, and then uh, I'm going to give you the the seven um, things that uh, that I see um, most commonly in, in good Proposals, um, so some you kind know, of smaller but uh, highly uh, powerful tips um, uh, as well. Uh, and if you want to to see these in practice, um, you can head over to my best practice library um, uh, on my website. So easiest way to find that is just fasttrackimpact.com/resources. Um, I'm going to go to that now because uh, I can't remember where it is uh, on, on the uh, page. Um, And you can see all of my guides um, uh, specified to the research councils or uh, UKRI, as it's known in the UK now, uh, Horizon 2020, etc. Uh, they're all uh, on this page as well. Uh, and you'll see uh, in the third, fourth section down, um, be inspired with these examples of good practice. That's what I've called the heading. And uh, and you can then see my, my good practice library there. Uh, lots of different examples of um, uh, proposals uh, that have pathways to impact that I think are good uh, for some reason. Some of them are mine. Uh, some of them are for other people uh, across lots of different disciplines. Uh, and, of course, none of them are perfect. So I've put my own evaluation of them uh, that pulls out the good practice features so you can see why I think it's good practice and um, uh, and be inspired by those aspects and hopefully not replicate too many of the mistakes because they all do have mistakes in them, including my own ones, I, I will admit. Um, and, uh, and for me, this is about uh, spreading innovation. Uh, so if you've got good ideas, if you've got great examples, please do let me know. I will evaluate them. If I agree, then I would love to, uh, to share them uh, with, with others and continue to, to drive good practice. So um, three key things that, uh, that you need to, uh, to, to do. Um, uh, The first two things uh, in uh, the UK system would be things that you would put into your uh, impact summary uh, and the third thing would be going into your pathway to impact, Um, but uh, you will thread these through the different um, sections of your proposal, wherever it is that you're you're applying. Uh, So the first thing is that you need to actually have some really specific impact goals. Uh, This is not vague. Um, I'm going to change the world. Uh, We're going to change government policy. We're going to meet all of the sustainable development goals, (laughs) that kind of stuff. This is something which is highly credible and, uh, and specific. So we're going to zoom in on this particular sustainable development goal. And we're going to zoom in on these two targets. And actually, we're going to, in this particular country, we're going to work with the government towards these two targets in these specific ways with this part of the government uh, in this initiative or under this strategy or working towards a particular policy or mechanism that, that might actually genuinely move the needle on this particular issue. So we've got a specific impact goal. Uh, I'm looking usually. Well, you want at least one. Um, I would normally go with somewhere between three and five um, impact goals. Uh, so there's a sense that yeah, we've got something very clear here. Uh, go back to the first episode of uh, of my podcast this season if you want to hear uh, my typology uh, or just um, uh, there's an article called What Is Impact on my website, um, I think linked from resources as well, and you can see my typology. Uh, for me, I find this quite a useful way of identifying impact goals because I think very often we're really tied up with just those long-term really exciting, powerful, end-of-pipe solution type things, uh, which is great. Um, but, uh, but we then overlook the fact that there are potentially some very persuasive um, uh, and entirely legitimate impact goals much closer to home. Uh, And for me, there's a real benefit here because uh, you get to appeal to both sides of uh, the funding panel uh, or the review college. So there will be the reviewers and the the panelists uh, who I would characterize this board. uh, So the people who are just saying, come on, uh, everything that I'm reviewing today is really not making a big difference is is fairly standard it's, it's yeah I, I want something exciting something daring something that's high risk high reward Uh, And uh, by having some of those uh, end-of-pipe, big, long-term things and really thinking as far down that line, well, what would happen next? And then what? And what if that person took it off? And then what if it went there and just tracing this all the way to a putative end point that is really impressive? Now uh, I've got those people excited. Well, okay. Maybe this isn't that likely. Maybe there are reasons why this might go horribly wrong. But you know what? They've traced out that pathway. It is possible. It's credible, um, even if not likely. And if this were to happen, then hey, this would change the world. Uh, and I'm willing to back this. Now you've got a, a panelist who is saying, you know what? This one needs to go to the top of that run. This is one that, that I think should get scored higher than everyone else who is, is, is arguing this, because this actually really excites me, and this is why. Great, you've got, you've got that person on board. Uh, the problem is, you've also got the uh, the the. Uh more risk-averse panelists and, and, uh, and reviewers who are saying, well, yeah, but what if that happens and this could go wrong and they've made all these different assumptions and I don't believe that this would ever happen. Uh, actually, uh, it, I feel quite nervous about this because if it's all h- hanging on uh, all of these assumptions beyond the lifetime of this project, then we may have nothing to show for this in terms of impact. Uh, and so by using my typology, you are now able to sort through and think uh, about a range of closer uh, nearer uh, impacts which are still legitimate and are typically going to happen within the lifetime of your project so uh, they are now highly credible highly likely um, uh, and they're not as impressive but uh, for those risk-averse people yeah that could happen and i believe that that is actually going to happen Uh, So, for example, capacity building impacts, uh, uh, awareness raising um, uh, and understanding impacts. We've changed how people think about this issue, and this is why it's really important uh, that people think differently. This is why it was a problem that they thought how they did or how they do now, and this is how we're going to change this. Uh, Perhaps uh, shifting that into attitudinal change, behavior change, uh, things like that. Um, what what are these things that you can do? A change in professional practice, for example. We don't actually have it threaded through all the way to changing people's lives, changing uh, customers, uh, patients, or whatever it is. But we've changed professional practice. We've changed organizational culture, uh, although we haven't got the, the, the bottom line yet in terms of profits or saving money. Uh, those kinds of interim impacts um, uh, you spot when you start looking through the eyes of my typology and you think, huh, yeah, we can do that and that and that. Great. Now I've got some impact goals. I've got the the, the lower risk, highly likely things within the life of my pro- of my project. I've got the more exciting, ambitious things that are going to uh, hopefully get people batting for me uh, on the panel. Um, uh, and uh, and I've uh, written them in a way which is highly specific. Um, so uh, I'm uh, not making them too generalizable. Uh, I I I am. Uh, putting a location on them, if need be, uh, in this country or at the regional scale. Um, uh, And if this is international, I'm specifying international policy within a particular framework uh, or international policy process or UN process, for example. There may be some kind of measurable element to it, so we're going to increase it by this amount um, or by this date, um, something along those those sorts of lines. Uh, And to make sure this is um, specific and measurable, uh, I would ask yourself the question: Well, how will you know if you've achieved that goal? Uh, What would you monitor? What would you evaluate? Uh, whether qualitatively or quantitatively what would be the things that you would measure count the kind of things you would expect people to stand in front of you and say if this is actually worth mm. yeah that has meaning for me that has value that's changed my life uh, and the more specific you can be as you envisage what this might actually look like um, the 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 more specific you're able to make uh, your your impact goals um, Uh, For me, a take-home message from this podcast episode uh, is going to be a a three-word take-home message, uh, which is specificity equals credibility. Uh, And that, for me, starts with your impact goals. Uh, Instantly, you've got really specific impact goals. You've got credible impact goals. If you've got credible impact goals, then great. I want to know what happens next who's going to benefit and what happens after that, which is, well, what is your pathway? What are the activities, engagement methods or whatever that you're going to use to enable those people to benefit in these ways? Uh, But instantly I've got something that is impressing me. Uh, It's it's, it's specific and therefore it's credible. some of the calls that you uh, may uh, be applying to uh, will already have um, expected impacts that, uh, that they want you to apply for. So uh, this uh, can be very prescriptive, so in Horizon 2020, for example, um, there will be very specific things that you have to explain exactly how you're going to achieve those societal uh, impacts or benefits. Uh, and um, and great, tick those boxes. Uh, but that doesn't mean that that is all you can do. Uh, you can go beyond, above. You can go deeper, you can be more diverse, you can be richer. Uh, and I think for me, that's really empowering, because I think that uh, when you have very prescriptive goals, it can be quite instrumental, it can be quite narrowing, you can feel like you've been put in a straitjacket. Uh, and for me, Uh, yeah, to be competitive I'm going to have to do all of those things really well. But uh, I can become even more competitive when uh, I then go beyond and I go deeper. And uh, those people on the panel who also feel a little bit critical of the way that the call has been framed and how narrow or instrumental it it is, uh, you're instantly winning brownie points with them and you're going above and beyond. Of course, you need to not go too far above and beyond in terms of value for money um, and and losing focus. Um, But uh, certainly don't allow yourself to be constrained if you feel constrained. by, by what a call is, is telling you you have to, to do. So that's my first of, of three things you need to get right, um, uh, specific impact goals that you can monitor and evaluate. Uh, number two is that you need to have uh, well-targeted stakeholders and or publics. Uh, in many uh, funding calls, they will be termed beneficiaries, um, uh, the people who will benefit. Uh, now, for me, the word beneficiaries is, is actually uh, quite useful because um, uh, if uh, you listen to the, the first episode of this season, you'll hear uh, the definition that I've built into the second edition of the Research Impact Handbook of impact simply as benefit. And for me, the really empowering question that I then ask is who benefits? And, uh, and for me, there's two sides to this. So um, in our funding applications, we are expected to tell the, uh, the funders who will benefit from this. Uh, They're asking for our beneficiaries. Great. Uh, But when we ask that question, uh, what instantly comes to mind, uh, hopefully, (laughs) is the fact that, uh, yeah, these guys might benefit uh, in this time, in this culture, in this place, in these ways. But actually, there are a bunch of guys over here who may well feel this very differently uh, and perceive it differently and for whom this may be the opposite of a benefit. And uh, it's really important that we identify that. Now, we're maybe not going to to, to sell that as an impact goal if this is a negative. Um, But uh, if you have uh, an impact goal that you realise now uh, is hugely contestable, uh, then instantly you know that you've got a critique you need to head off. Um, And I'm either uh, sidestepping that issue altogether and refocusing my proposal and not going into that really hotly contested, controversial area where I'm going to get tied up in knots, uh, or I'm doing my homework on this and I'm working out, right, Or well, how could we do this in a way that gets as many benefits for as many people as possible? Uh, and can we understand who these people are, who we think may be disadvantaged, and why? Can we work with them to find out if there are ways in which we could ameliorate the, the worst negative impacts of this uh, for, uh, on them? Uh, and uh, then that means that uh, it, later on in the proposal, uh, whether this is in my case for support um, for something which is very much co-produced and integrated throughout, uh, or my pathway to impact, or wherever it is, uh, I'm able to head off those criticisms um, and do something a bit more sophisticated that says, okay, we're aware that we're making some assumptions here. Mm-hmm. We're aware that these groups um, might have these issues, and this is what we're going to do to to deal with that. So you're you're not uh attacked um uh, and uh, by by reviewers and, and panelists um for for what you're planning um uh, and you're not too naive uh so so that's the, the the first key point here is uh we are identifying beneficiaries and we identify the flip side and we head that off we deal with that we don't just hide it or brush it onto the carpet and i uh, hope no one notices and nothing bad happens um the, uh, the the first challenge that I think um, many of us will, will have is that we, we have fairly blinkered views of, of this when we just kind of go in with a blank sheet of paper. Uh, if I give you a blank sheet of paper and say, right, tell me who will benefit from your research, two or three organisations, groups of people might instantly come to mind. Um, and there will be two or three organisations or groups of people who you would never say upfront. Um, But when I probe, when we think about this, when you talk to your colleagues, when you talk to other people, you think, oh, yeah, yeah, they're actually really important. Um, And you know what? It's not just me who always forgets those guys. It's uh, the rest of the world constantly forget these people. These are the marginalized. These are the voiceless. And you know what? I don't want to fall into that trap. So uh, my, my message here is be systematic, uh, and that doesn't mean that you therefore have to identify and represent everyone who might have a stake. Um, if you are diligent, uh, then you may come up with lists of hundreds of organizations. This is possible. Um, uh, but what we're doing here is we are being systematic, so uh, so yeah, I'm spending as much time as I've got on this, um, uh, and for me often this is just an hour of my time, and I'm doing a stakeholder or public's analysis. So, uh, this is in my book. there's a, a free template on the resources page of my website, uh, downloads uh, my template, um, uh, fill it in. Uh, and, uh, and essentially a, a good stakeholder or public's analysis is, is simply asking three questions. Um, uh, so uh, who are people who might be interested in my research? Uh, and I'm looking at uh, the intersection between their interests and my interests. So they will have many interests and there are lots of things I could legitimately do to help them that would be impact, that just wouldn't be research impact unless they are linked to my research. Um, So so who are these people uh, who I think are interested in specific parts of my research? And then the second two questions are, um, uh, how much uh, benefit do I think they will get and in what ways? Uh, and what level of influence do I think they might have on my ability to achieve benefits for them or for other people uh, through the research. Uh, And that influence uh, can be one of two ways. It can be the power to facilitate, enable me to achieve impact because actually they have very similar impact goals to me. My impact is their impact, their impact is my impact. Uh, And if I connect with them early enough in the process, then they will potentially throw staff time, resources, money, data, access to people, to field sites, um, Yeah, great. Uh, But bear in mind that uh, some of these very influential organizations or perhaps individuals may be influential because they may have the power to block you from achieving impact. Uh, In some cases, they'll have the power to block you from uh, even uh, even doing your research. uh, so I do a lot of research with uh, with people who do uh, genetic modification of, uh, of crops, um, and there are people who are ideologically opposed to that, uh, who will destroy their experiments, <laughs> let alone try and uh, oppose them from commercialising the products or getting them into the market um, or getting anyone to adopt those products in the marketplace. Um, so uh, you need to know who these people are, uh, whether they will facilitate your impact or if you think they're going to block you, because the sooner you know about that the, the sooner you can do something to uh, work around that and um, bring them on side uh, and if possible you're working with these people before you've even applied for the funding uh, to, to, to reduce the, the risk that this all goes horribly wrong. Um, So uh, we're being systematic about who these beneficiaries might be, uh, whether they're beneficiaries or or the opposite of that, uh, by doing a stakeholder or public's analysis, finding out who is interested, who will benefit and who has influence. Uh, uh, Now, Uh, I may come up with a big long list, Um, so I'm going to prioritise. I'm asking myself now, who are the people who are most interested, who will get most benefit, who will have most influence? Uh, Are there moral imperatives here that will actually uh, enable me to bring in people who uh, are... going to have a high benefit but who may not be that interested uh, or who are hugely influential um, uh, but again not interested and they would like to block it because it's going to really compromise their interests and i need to bring them in Uh, what about those who are really not influential uh, who are the marginalized the voiceless maybe i want to bring them in uh, for for other uh, moral ethical reasons Uh, there's no one right way of um uh, of ranking and ordering these, but uh, it enables you to systematically decide, this is why, um, and now this is how I'm going to prioritize and rank uh, the organizations I want to reach out to. Uh, I can now maybe categorizing them into public versus private or whatever other way I want to do this, are no, no right way of doing that. Uh, and now uh, I've got a, a list of types of beneficiaries uh, that I can write into my proposal uh, in the UK setting. That would be in my um, uh, my impact summary, uh, which the impact summary just has your goals and your beneficiaries, uh, simple as that. Um, uh, so uh, I've got these, I don't know, five different groups of, uh, of stakeholders or publics uh, that I think will be relevant. Um, and I've got specific examples of uh, of organisations within uh, those publics, uh, or um, or stakeholders. Um, uh, do note, I just used the word publics plural. I didn't uh, do that on uh, uh, by mistake. Um, uh, I don't believe there is any such thing as the general public. Uh, what we're looking at here is uh, is different publics. Uh, who will vary in their level and type of interest in your research. Who you will get different benefits. Uh, who may or may not be able to influence uh, others taking this up, um, uh, this going places. Uh, so uh, we're trying to understand who those different publics are. Uh, and even if this is uh, school children, I, I'm asking myself, well, OK, uh, is this um, uh, I- in England versus Scotland? And now I've got different curricula and which part of the curriculum uh, does this uh, apply to? Which age of school children um, uh, might I be trying to reach out to depending on where there is a biggest, the biggest attainment gap or where I might be able to influence people to choose a particular subject? And I've got it narrowed down to, OK, um uh, publics has turned into children, has turned into school children, has turned into uh, year seven uh, primary uh, children uh, studying uh, environmental issues um, as part of the Scottish Curriculum for Excellence. Great. Uh, so we're being specific. And again, as I said earlier on, uh, specificity equals credibility. Uh, this is not now um, uh, we're going to work with the government um uh, we've now got uh, it is uh, the uk government versus another government um uh, this is uh, now a specific government department this is a particular team within that government department and here is the name of the team leader who we have approached for uh, to join our our stakeholder advisory panel uh, whether or not they've accepted i have got that name of that person um and uh, and um Uh, And later on in the pathway to impact, um, here are some specific strategies that they have uh, worked on that are in the pipeline that we're going to contribute towards. Way more credible than we're going to work with the government. Uh, And instantly, government, I'm asking questions. Do these people actually know which part of government? Do they actually know what policy agenda? Do they have any idea really um, uh, in terms of specific goals here? Uh, Or is this just pie in the sky? And are they starting from scratch? In which case, I'm not sure I believe that this is that credible so let me have a think anything else that uh, that you need to know about here in terms of targeting stakeholders publics beneficiaries um, Yeah, I think uh, a final point here is just the the order of this. Um, uh, Now, in an ideal world, and and I'll give you my unideal world as well, uh, because that's just just real here. Um, In an an ideal world, you've got time, um, and you're doing this ahead of time. um, And now based on this stakeholder analysis or public analysis, you're going out and you're talking to these people. I'm writing an email to these people, and I'm saying, I'd like to meet up with you. I'm not just out of the blue asking for a letter of support. I'm asking, for a meeting whether it's a phone conversation or whatever else i want to find out more about your interests in this particular area i get a response to that email and i get that telephone conversation because it's not just a broadcast email saying this is us this is our research um, and we want to find out how we can help you or we want you to use our results I'm saying to one organization, I understand that you're interested in these issues based on your latest strategic plan. We are planning some research that intersects with two of these issues, and we would like to have a conversation with you about how we might be able to work together on this particular agenda. Uh, And to the next organization, uh, I'm not going to be manipulative or disingenuous with this. I'm going to say, well, look, we are working on these issues, but I'm prioritizing the fact, number one in this email, we're working on this other issue here which i know is top of your agenda based on what i've understood from my colleagues about what you're working on at the moment um, and uh, and so 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 yeah great you get that response uh, and you have a differently focused conversation with uh, with each of these people Uh, If at this point you're doing it early enough, you discover, actually, I'm drawing a blank here. This is still pretty vague. I'm not very sure about this. Uh, Then the first step for me is to now go to your colleagues, go to to find someone who is more engaged, who's got more experience working in that sector, who does more engaged research, more applied research than you, uh, and get them to help you. Uh, even turn it into a little workshop Um, I I quite often do this with one or two cross-cutting stakeholders who have got a bit of social capital with um, uh, a couple of hours putting stuff up on walls and uh, and doing this with them Uh, instantly those gaps are filled in and okay i do know now what these people are interested in based on that intelligence Um, and i can write those emails um i can tailor those phone calls i get responses i get buy-in um i then get that letter of support i get a project partner i get someone who feels like yeah this was respectful this is something that i've been able to shape i've been able to input to uh and and you get the the help you need and uh, a level of specificity in your research proposals that, that then really works. Uh so so for me early is great because you actually have the chance to in some way co-produce your proposal they get the chance to shape what you're doing help you to uh, to to do things that are going to be highly relevant and it's not just a case of well here's a research uh, and now we're going to disseminate it and we're going to hope that it's relevant to these people but we didn't ask them what they really wanted to start with um now this is controversial um uh, I had a a, a a minor falling out with one of my funders recently um who uh, who uh, refused to sign my collaboration agreement to give me the funding uh, until I could assure them uh, that none of the stakeholders um, who were on my advisory uh, board had in any way shaped or influenced my proposal. Uh, to which I said, "Well, I can't sign the, the 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 agreement because they did help me shape this because this is good practice. If you want to ask people to submit engaged." impactful research then good practices you talk to the people who might have some needs to start with you find out what those needs are uh, and then you design research that might actually intersect with some of those needs and yes it is still independent uh, cutting-edge research and if they don't like the results, then we're not going to change them. Uh, but at least I started this by understanding where people were coming from, what their needs were, what their cultural sensitivities were, uh, all of that stuff. And I go in with an understanding of that context rather than doing this entirely in my ivory tower and hoping for the for the best. And I think that research funders are increasingly recognizing uh, that that is what they are telling us uh, is good practice and therefore they need to change how they uh, do their contracts. And they did sign my contract in the end after my argument. Um, so, uh, so so it's a good practice. They, they get to shape it. And we actually come up with a much more convincing proposal where this is threaded through uh, and shapes and, and flavors the whole thing. Um, uh, and, and that really does shine through. You, know, you can see the proposals at panel. Uh, in these meetings that have talked the talk of co-production and participation and engagement but in reality I haven't done that um, and uh, and there's these little giveaway words like we're going to disseminate, we're going to educate and you think yeah there's a worldview underneath all of this stuff um, that says something different. Uh, now, I said I'd give you my uh, uh, my worst-case scenario, which is, well, hey, uh, this is a bit of a rush. Uh, the opportunity came up, I found out about it late, uh, I'm dashing to my deadline, um, and hopefully it's not the night before because you really are limited, but uh, but we've got weeks rather than months now to, to pull this thing to, together. Uh, I would still argue that uh, doing a stakeholder uh, or publics analysis uh, is going to make a massive difference to you. Uh, An hour of your time, uh, just yourself with your team, thinking systematically through this, and you've now got a really credible and specific list of beneficiaries you can build into your proposal. Uh, you've got a sense of what those benefits might be and if those are, if benefits are impacts, then uh, you've instantly got um, something which is much more likely to be challenge-led, um, demand-led in terms of impact goals that people would actually like to see. Um, so you, you transform uh, the, the benefits and the interests that you get through that analysis into impact goals uh, and you still do a lot better job. Uh, and I 'm still writing to some of these people, maybe i don 't get replies, but I can still say i've at least invited these people to join my uh, my advisory board and uh, and i 've got that specific specific um, detail in there. So that's the first two things. Uh, I've got specific uh, impact goals. Um, I've got a a really well-targeted set of stakeholders, publics, beneficiaries. Uh, I've been a bit more sophisticated than just beneficiaries. I've looked at my assumptions. Uh, I've identified those who might come off not so well uh, and how I'm gonna deal with that. Uh, The third and final element now is that I need to have uh, a credible plan for impact. Uh, Now, depending on your funder, this could be a communications plan. It could be a dissemination plan. I really don't like that term, but you may have to use those words. Uh, It could be an impact plan. It could be a pathway to impact. Uh, In the UK setting, what we've got is um, typically two sections, uh, uh, an impact summary, which is uh, what are my impact goals and who are the beneficiaries, uh, and then my pathway to impact. Uh, However this is done, um, there are these three elements and your task is to make sure that all three of these things coherently map onto each other so uh, I've got a set of uh, impact goals uh, and I'm asking myself now uh, who are the different groups who will benefit from each of those impact goals and as I run through those impact goals uh, is there an impact goal that doesn't have anyone who will benefit from it okay I've got a missing beneficiary group who might benefit from that goal okay I add them in uh, I'm running through my list of beneficiaries uh, or stakeholders uh, and I'm asking so how do each of these different groups benefit and I'm asking myself have I got got an impact goal that speaks to each one of these groups interests and I go through and it turns out that well actually farmers are one of the key beneficiary groups and there is no impact goal that has any relevance or benefit to farmers it's all targeted at policymakers. makers huh, ha I need to add another impact goal great so I've got a list of impact goals and beneficiaries uh, that tie up and map onto each other and it's coherent Uh, Now I need to make sure I've got a list of activities, specific plans, pathways, uh, things that I'm gonna do that will enable me to achieve each and every single one of those impact goals for each and every one of those beneficiaries. Sounds simple, but man, it's so infrequent that I actually see this working coherently. Uh, And so you just systematically work through. So for impact goal number one, uh, how would I credibly achieve that? What ideas have I got? Brainstorm. Okay, here's a a list of things I could do to achieve the first one. Uh, second one third one great and i'm going through my beneficiary group so here i've got a whole series of uh, of activities for my first impact goal. This first impact goal, I think, is is all uh, is something which is is all about policy. Uh, so for policymakers, now, what different types of policymakers have I got? Uh, so I've got the UN people, I've got national people, uh, I've got politicians, I've got civil servants, uh, I've got evidence people, I've got policy people. Okay, so have I actually got a pathway, an activity, the the right kind of seminar, policy brief, activity, whatever it is that is going to appeal to each of those different relevant groups that I've identified great take them all off if not I need to find a new activity so that I made sure that I actually did that Uh, and I'm running through each of those beneficiary groups and I'm realizing huh, I've got a problem. Uh, none of these are specifically targeted towards farmers. How do I solve that problem? And, oh, actually my farmers don't speak English. Um, so instantly I've got an issue in terms of the fact that all of my activities require English language skills. And in fact, maybe they even require literacy. Maybe they're not 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 not, not literate in, in all cases. Um, uh, I make no assumptions about farmers. I, I've met uh, many uh, many people who uh, you would very much expect to be literate, um, who are who are not literate. Never make assumptions. Uh, I can tell you from bitter experience uh, in terms of uh, of literacy, uh, wherever you are working in the world, um, uh, including in the the richest countries of the world. Um, So, so I'm systematically checking there are pathways that work with all the relevant beneficiary groups and that will take me to each of the different um, impacts. Uh, The next thing that I'm doing is I'm trying to be a little bit more specific um, and sophisticated than just. Uh, I've got one activity I do that takes me to that impact. Uh, very often what we will discover is that uh, you have a series of impacts which thread one to the next, to the next. And so we have these causal chains or or pathways that run from an early interim impact, I change how people think, uh, to a a secondary impact of, well, we change attitudes or behaviours, to a a tertiary impact, well, actually those behaviours on the ground saved lives, saved money, saved habitats, whatever it was. Um, uh, and so uh, I need to make sure that I've got a series of uh, activities that uh, work across those uh, those that that that, def- that, that causal chain. Uh, and in some cases, actually, just to get to one of those um, uh, those impacts, there's a whole series of different activities I'm going to have to do. Uh, so to get a policy impact, I'm going to start by doing a policy analysis. Then I'm going to move to uh, doing a, a, a systematic review of the evidence. I'm going to turn that now into a policy brief. I'm going to take that policy brief to a policy seminar. Uh, I'm then going to have a series of meetings with various high-level people. I'm then going to uh, go to a, a high level of policy. Maker, um, I'm going to go to the UN, or whatever it is, and you've got this series of activities that you do that thread together that ultimately take you to, yeah, that looks like I'm going to get that impact. Uh, way more credible than just, yeah, I'll write a policy brief. Um, so uh, you've got, a, you've got a, now a, a credible pathway to impact um, that has a series of activities. Um, and we've been systematic about making this now really coherent in terms of delivering specific impact goals for specific groups of people. Uh, and of course, actually, just bear in mind, these this could be non-human beneficiaries. Uh, this could be future generations. So let's, let's, let's be uh, sophisticated about this. Uh, what other things might you see in a, in a pathway to impact? Um, well, that's your, your kind of basic stuff. Um, if you want to be highly competitive, there's a bunch of additional things that you can add in here. Uh, Now you may run out of room, um, and depending on how applied your proposal is, uh, you may be able to thread this into your uh, case for support. uh, one uh, sneaky trick I see people use a lot is uh, we're going to have um, a management work package which will do management uh, and impact or we're going to have an impact work package um, all, all by itself uh, it could be an exploitation or commercialization work package, whatever it is, And is I'm going to put all of my commercialisation and stuff into that work package now to free up room for um, uh, the, the, the broader deeper, wider, more diverse impacts um, uh, in my pathway to impact and impact summary and I'll cross-reference back to that work package um, so it all adds up and I get a bit more space. Uh, in some proposals you'll get extra pages, extra sections, um, so uh, official development assistance and um, uh, a one-pager on that. Uh, I might get a one-pager to submit um, a theory of change or a logical framework analysis depending on who I'm applying to. So uh, it's, it's fairly flexible, I'm being uh, fairly... Uh, uh, What's the word for it? uh, I'm I'm being flexible myself in terms of how I use the different sections to fit in as much as I can. Um, uh, And this is a bit of a clue. Uh, If I'm struggling for space, this is a good sign. Um, If I've got a page, and I've got a blank page, um, and I'm looking for two pages of text, and I'm struggling to get more than one page, uh, that is a sign that I've got a really weak impact um, uh, section. Uh, you should have way more than you need, and it should be a real struggle to fit this stuff in. Uh, that's a sign that you're heading at the right level. So some of the things that you might want to add in here, uh, first of all, uh, is going to be a monitoring and evaluation uh, strategy. Uh, so um, uh, very often uh, in the development world now, this is uh, monitoring, evaluation, accountability, and learning. Uh, MEAL is the, the acronym that people are using at the moment. Um, uh, but uh, what the, the, the A and the L do there is, uh, they just kind of add in the idea that, uh, that you know what, um, uh, I'm putting some things out here and I am saying I'm going to be accountable for this. We are going to measure this stuff. We're going to report on this stuff. You can hold us to account on this. Uh, and moreover, we're going to learn from this because uh, we don't expect it all to go uh, swimmingly well. It's going to go wrong. Um, and, uh, and we have mechanisms built in here so we get the feedback sooner rather than later. We can course correct, uh, we can do things better. Uh, so we've got those formative opportunities to, to learn from, from our evaluations, from, from, from our monitoring uh, as, as we go. Uh, for me, what this does that makes you really competitive is that it gives you an added layer of, uh, of specificity. So uh, I may now uh, identify um, some specific indicators. Uh, here are a number of things that we would expect to see happen uh, or that we would be able to measure or trends that we'd see uh, a before and after uh, based on a baseline that we're going to collect uh, at the beginning of the project. Um, but, uh, but there's a level of specificity now that we've broken that impact goal into, say, three indicators uh, that we would expect to see. I would always um, uh, describe these as indicative uh, these are indicators, uh, so they will never tell you the whole truth. Um, and um, if I come up with better ideas during the project, and I'm going to change this. Um, I also don't want to be uh, criticised by the reviewers for forgetting something obvious that they saw. So they're indicative indicators, uh, things I think I would probably measure. Uh, and now uh, this is the methodology. This is how I'm going to collect that data. Do I need a baseline? Um, uh, do I need a randomised controlled trial? Or could I do an audit, for example, if I'm in the, the healthcare um, kind of arena? Um, uh, uh, and uh, and then how will I write that up? Uh, will I be publishing that in the peer-reviewed literature? Um, will this uh, be something that we will publish on uh, our project blog? Uh, is this something that will go into a, a report by one of our, uh, our project partners uh, who is working with us on this stuff? Um, uh, So so we've got indicators, uh, we've got methods behind this um, uh, and uh, as part of that monitoring and evaluation strategy I'm also going to talk about my assumptions. So I'm now making explicit the fact that I'm assuming that a bunch of things are going to fall into place but I recognise that these things might go wrong, that I might have got this wrong, uh, that, that things might actually lead to X, Y and Z negative unintended consequences and now this is how I'm going to mitigate those risks. And for me, at the cutting edge of this is recognizing those assumptions and risks. Uh, and not leaving them to your your reviewers and panelists to identify um, and and criticize you for, but to say, yeah, uh, I understand this context well enough that I know that this could go wrong and this is why this is so risky, Um, but this is why you shouldn't worry too much and this is how I'm going to mitigate this. Uh, And instantly you get brownie points from knowing and fessing up to that, but also from explaining why that's not too much of a concern um, uh, and you don't get downgraded for being high risk. Uh, hopefully, that's that's the plan anyway. Um, uh, linked to that, I'm going to have some funding put aside to this. Uh, so uh, I'm going to explain how we're going to do this. Um, so uh, for a large project, you may decide to uh, get a consultant in to do this. Uh, I personally tend not to do that. Um, it helps that I've got a bit of expertise myself, so I can say that I'll do it or I'll mentor a postdoc um, to, to do the majority of that work myself. Uh, I would argue, though, whether or not you have a kind of an expertise um, written down um, in terms of publications, like I might have in monitoring and evaluation. Um, uh, we all have expertise as researchers uh, and for me that is the expertise you need to design an evaluation ask yourself the research question what is my impact and you can design an evaluation that means you can credibly design and lead on this yourself and for me the advantage of that is that you understand your context deeply you are involved in that you're collecting that data as you go you're getting those opportunities for learning uh, on the job uh, as things happen as things go wrong and you're able to adapt much more effectively so for me this is much better um uh, if uh, and it's also cheaper um uh, you just need a bit of guts to say yeah i'm going to do this uh, and i'm going to do it properly uh, and i'm putting some postdoc resource to this uh we're going to have some a bit of consult- consultancy help to do some marketing kind of comms designy type stuff uh, or our website or whatever it is i'm putting money to that as well Uh, I I like to actually conceptualise that as a percentage, Um, so uh, in the UK system the only percentage I've ever seen research councils give um, when they've put out directed calls uh, is 10% um, interestingly, when you talk to the research councils, um, they get um, anywhere between 2 and 4% typically coming back. Uh, and what's happening there, I think, is researchers saying, well, yeah, that's what you're saying as the funder, but I've got to run the gauntlet of the, uh, the, the peer review college first, uh, and they may not be where you're at with impact. Um, so let's, uh, let's not risk uh, this coming out as bad value for money. Um, uh, and so, so for me, where, where I pitch this is generally somewhere between 5 and 10%. Um, And what I'm arguing here is, guys, I'm taking this seriously. Um, This is the amount of funding I'm putting aside, Uh, it's this number of days of postdoc time, Uh, it's this percentage of my role as project manager or principal investigator, Um, it's these um, consumable costs, travel costs, uh, workshop costs, uh, printing costs, website costs, etc. Adding them all up, this is the percentage, I'm taking this seriously. uh, other things that you can add in here, um, uh, I think we would all integrate our academic track record into our proposal. Uh, trust us, uh, we're amazing uh, and it does it does help. Um, uh, of course, uh, depending on the kind of proposal you're doing, uh, it's more or less important. Uh, so if you, this is an early career targeted thing, it's a first grant type thing, yeah, maybe it's less important. Fellowship application, for example. Um, uh, but uh, but whether or not it's, it matters um, uh, in terms of your academic track record, I would argue that it really does matter in terms of impact that uh, you have credibility uh, in this uh, arena. Um, and, um, and for me, if this is a, a big project, If you don't think you've got that credibility in terms of, I've never worked in this country before, Uh, I've never engaged with these types of hard to reach groups before in these really contested issues before, Uh, instantly uh, you may be perceived as not being a safe pair of hands. So uh, for for me, I would then be approaching someone who would be considered a safe pair of hands and inviting them on as a collaborator uh, to help me do better impact and be credible in terms of my track record and then whatever I've got to show for this. Uh, I am putting that into the proposal and saying, well, look, here is our track record in terms of impact. Uh, we can't prove to you that we are going to uh, go out and um, and do this stuff and make it work. Um, but what we can prove is we've done this before in similarly challenging contexts in this country with these groups uh, on these contested issues before, and we have achieved impacts before. So trust us, we can do this again. Uh, and and that can be fairly fairly persuasive. A uh, final couple of words on this. Um, most of the things that I review in this space, uh, they're massively dense. So um, this is a good sign. You're really trying to pack it in. You've got more material than you want. But uh, the, the amount of time that people have to go through these um, can be surprisingly short. Uh, so um, in the panel today, um, we were uh, on average 10 minutes per proposal uh, for all of the discussions. Um, And um, uh, that's a discussion. Um, uh, What's happened before that is that we've got a a number of peer reviews, so uh, anywhere between three and five uh, peer reviewers uh, who've looked at this uh, in lots more depth. Uh, And then uh, we'll have an an introducer uh, and a second introducer who will have read it in depth again. Uh, and we'll be talking to it in panel. There'll be two people who will have read it in not much depth, but they'll be vaguely familiar with it, and then uh, a discussion. Uh, The rest of the panel, they're looking at it typically in that 10 minutes, um, uh, checking bits that are relevant to their expertise. What I'm doing is I'm going to the pathway to impact, and I'm looking, is that credible? Um, Or or I'm going to the specific uh, methodology that I'm familiar with um, or, or discipline. Uh, and uh, and if you can't find the relevant part and you can't read that quickly, uh, then you're instantly at a disadvantage. Um, uh, and uh, I suspect, <laughs> looking at uh, the number of words um, and the misunderstandings that I see again and again in um, peer review feedback, that a lot of these peer reviewers are doing this on the deadline day um, in uh, significantly under an hour. Um, uh, and, uh, and they are speed reading these things. Um, uh, so uh, do yourself a, a favor. Break up that text. Put in some uh, some subheadings. At least make bold the key points. Um, put in some bullet point lists, uh, things like that. Let's that's not waste space um, with lots of tables and things like that. But let's think about how we can still break this up and help people signpost and navigate that text. Um, one thing people uh, often do is is add diagrams Uh, and for me your diagram needs to save you words and communicate something much more space efficiently Uh, i think um, a a diagram is problematic when it's half a page out of two pages and you're repeating all that stuff in the text Um, it it needs to explain something that's hard to explain in the text and that is going to save you space Uh, and that's why um, something uh, something like a theory of change um, for me often isn't that helpful Um, uh, unless you've been given that extra time and space to to do that and that's an expectation on you Uh, great use it as a planning tool uh, to get your thinking straight and to get those causal chains painted out in your imagination Uh, so this is credible but uh, one out of two pages to a pathway to impact um, you're not gonna have space to do that justice and you're gonna end up explaining and repeating stuff and and kind of coasting along the surface uh, of things So I'm gonna conclude with a few additional tips that I think can help. Uh, The first of these is that you need to demonstrate that there is a real demand for or interest in your work. So uh, come up with some kind of evidence-based problem statement that describes the number of people who are affected by this particular issue or how important it is in some shape or form. Uh, And then you can set your impact goals in relation to that. Uh, We're going to address the whole of this issue, part of this issue for this population in this location. Uh, And uh, you're able then to talk in much more persuasive terms about uh, the nature of the challenge you're going to help address uh, and so give more power to your impact uh, in the way that you frame it. Uh, the next thing that I'm going to uh, suggest is uh, that you need to keep things really simple in terms of your, your language. Uh, There will be people uh, who will pay particular attention to the impact parts of your proposal. Uh, If there is a non-academic member of a funding panel, this may be the only thing that they've read in terms of all other proposals. Uh, So I try and make it stand alone uh, that you can read these and they make sense without having to have read the full proposal. Uh, Now, obviously that can get a bit repetitive, so uh, only to an extent, but uh, if you've got loads and loads of jargon and acronyms and it's really dense, and, and full of academic language, that's, that's going to potentially be a barrier to, in particular, those members of the panel understanding. But I would argue also people outside your discipline who don't work with those organisations, who don't know what those acronyms mean, uh, you want this to really communicate to, to the members of the panel, to your reviewers. Uh, so keeping your language simple is really important, and I'd argue especially so for these parts, given uh, the people who are uh, most likely to have read uh, this part of your proposal. Uh, One other tip uh, is uh, to get some specialist impact pre-review. So we probably all know that uh, when you pre-review a proposal, you significantly increase your chances of success. Uh, I identify the problems ahead of time. I fix them before it goes into review. So I'm much less likely to get tripped up by those issues. Uh, If this is a very much applied piece of research, if uh, you're going to a... um, call which is directed, that is impact focused, then uh, actually getting someone outside academia to review your proposal and if nothing else to pay attention to the impact parts of your proposal can give you a real competitive edge. Uh, now, finding these people um, uh, is fairly challenging in terms of finding someone who is willing to give up that time to help you with this. So You're going to have to potentially draw on some social capital. Uh, you may need to, to book that time in advance uh, with them so that they're ready and primed and waiting for you to, to send this to them so that uh, it's not um, uh, last minute and you do get someone to, to help. Uh, my final point then is uh, coming back to what I said right at the beginning, uh, my take home message from uh, this episode, which is that uh, specificity, sorry, yeah, specificity equals credibility. I told you it was a three word take home uh, message at the beginning, didn't I? And, and that, that, oh, those are those three words. Uh, if you are specific, then you are credible. So uh, look at your impact goals, look at your beneficiary groups and the examples of the organizations you're planning to work with. Look at the activities and the pathways that you've designed. How how can you make them more and more specific uh, and really paint them out in enough detail that they are actually believable. Because that is what's going to make the difference between this actually singing and communicating and convincing reviewers and and panellists versus it falling flat and just not being believable. Uh, In this episode, I've tried to give you a whole range of different things that you can do uh, based on my research, on my experience as a reviewer, on my experience as a panelist. Uh, And it is really quite surprising. As you sit through these meetings, you see the same mistakes being made again and again and again. Um, And it can feel quite obvious. It can feel quite easy. Well, why don't you just do these things? But actually, you know what? The people who are sitting on these panels, who are sitting there thinking, you know what? This is so obvious. It's so easy. Why don't people do (coughs) these things that we know? will work, we don't hear this stuff, we don't get told this stuff, and so my hope is that by sharing some of these insights with you, uh, that you get the opportunity to learn from that experience, and to not make some of those mistakes, and to put something together that really does actually communicate and get you the funding that you need, so that ultimately, uh, this is what it's all about, you get funding to do impactful research that then actually does make a difference, that actually works.